Episode 10, it is, yes. correct. Welcome to episode 10 of the No Bull Podcast. This we made is, it. <laughs> we made it. This is Nick Korob, the founder of Harvest Profit, and joining Pe- me is... Peter Schott, founder of Genesis Feed Technologies. Peter, you want to start us off with uh, what you've been up to here the last couple weeks? Uh, yeah, so after getting back from the uh, trip to Thailand, just was in Des Moines for another show. And then after that, really focusing on getting um, our first few customers launched on the platform. And so managing that transition from working on things internally and having occasional demos with them to more interactive demos where they're starting to drive, so to speak, on, on the screen and, and give feedback and buttoning up some minor issues with that. And now at the stage where they're actually using the platform on their own and giving us feedback and I always say it's it's a, a different scenario when you're driving the car versus when you're riding along yep. in it and so we're, we're getting some different feedback from from people overall it's really really positive but just you know some minor things to tweak and then I've been embarking on the quest to write a user manual for our platform and some customized training videos for each um, each of these initial accounts just to kind of give them a unique individual experience with it and get feedback um and as i was saying before we started recording this i love writing i do not like writing user manuals it's painful (laughs) to do it but having that deliberate process where i go through bit by bit and take screenshots think about what does this flag mean how does this affect these other things has been really valuable for me to kind of bring things together on our platform and then give me a few issues or questions to work with with Phil on there. Then on the side, starting to look at a growth plan and starting to debate, you know, do we raise some money? Do we take on some debt through a North Dakota development fund, uh, work with industry groups on sponsorship or a combination of those and what does that start to look like? And so just having some initial conversations with people on that that have either done that or a part of it and then starting to kind of fit our business plan and different things into that which that's been a really good exercise too because it really forces you to have a disciplined thought on how is your where's your business at where you're growing what's the what's the potential in that so even if we don't end up taking any money or trying to raise anything or taking on any debt or investment it's i think just a really good process to kind of go through now and see where we're at now versus where we were yeah here you go how about yourself i'm going to step back into when you were working on i walked in you're working on that user manual one tidbit or piece of advice would be we use this tool called help scout which has a uh, it's linked it's basically a shared inbox for support requests okay if you email support at harvestprofit.com it goes to Help Scout. Mm-hmm. They also have a docs, a documentation tool where you can make um, articles, help articles, mm-hmm. and you can organize them. Uh, basically, you just organize them as almost little individual blog posts. Mm-hmm. Super easy to just write one up quick, and then they they get categorized. You know, you have ten, nice. 10 main categories, and that tool has been really valuable to us. Then also came across one recently called Intercom. Intercom has a startup program. Uh, what is cool about Intercom is you have your, you have the, the inbox, the help desk, 
you have the ability to create documentation, but then you also have a running list of like uh, index of users. Oh, nice! And you can see when they were last in the software, mm -hmm. so you can just sort by, you know, last seen date mm -hmm. and reach out to people who maybe haven't been in there in a while, and you can do a lot of different tagging. Um, so you can tag users and just slice and dice them. And for us, I spent quite a bit of time here a couple months ago trying to look at a tool that was, uh, we could do this in email. Yep. We, we, we can see who has been active, who hasn't reach out to them via email, but then things get lost in people's emails. Right. So we right. wanted a, a shared inbox where we could sort by different metrics or tags. And so, Something to think about as you're writing documentation is to put into a uh, an online that's, help. And that's what I want to do. I was just getting everything in a in a Google Doc for now, but um, we use Jira internally for a lot of for issue tracking and that. And they have a tool called Confluence, which creates wiki style pages for things. And so that was one of the things on my radar list to look at. But I'm definitely going to check out the. Um, Help Scout and the intercom. We wrote those down. Sure. When we were talking, and then you know, we we were talking about potentially revisit, kind of visiting some decision making topics in this uh, in this episode. But I think we could probably just stick to this updates because I do have a couple questions for you and, and some thoughts on the raising money. How yep. I see it, if you have a you need, at our stage of business, your stage of business, you need to pay yourself, right? Yeah. People need to people need to get paid. So there's a few different routes you can take, mm -hmm. you know, paths. And I, how I see it is you, you do some consulting work, like what you guys have been doing, and you stick with that being a fairly core piece of the business. Yep. Or you... Uh, you know, you just really hustle hard and get people to pre-buy the software. Or you have a, a scenario where you start to see that some of your sales are going to, you know, going to maybe be more drawn out. And just from a, a sanity standpoint, I think a person, you know, would need to seriously consider raising some money. You know, the fourth avenue is where you have a business that is, you're building a product, you yep. have R&D, or you're building something that's like a marketplace where it has, um, you need to get a group, two groups of people together, so mm -hmm. you have to basically build both the supply side and the demand side, I right. would say like Uber. Yep. Uh, if you have a bunch of drivers without any riders, the business is gonna fail. If you have exactly. riders without drivers, it's gonna fail. And there's a, lot of, there's a lot of people that think about marketplace businesses. If I could just match these people with these people would be so successful, but it's tremendously hard and almost, uh, you almost have to have capital to do that. And so, you know, are you, you know, we've talked a lot on air and off air about the product you're building. Yep. Do you see the consulting being a core aspect of the business, you know, in over the first couple of years here? No, no, I really don't. It's going to be pretty exclusively product focused and with the with the features that we have now they're saleable and repeatable and over the next few months going to start to see what the adoption rate 
is for for that so we can start to make some kind of projections on numbers revenue wise but there's another feature that we're adding on to the platform that helps people make better decisions about how to buy ingredients mm -hmm. because it connects into their formula system they can really know the true value of it now it gives them incentive to buy certain quality metrics from people that they're already buying from so we can take those buyers connect with their sellers and kind of getting that marketplace piece that you were talking about and and provide incentives for both groups um i think i talked about this in a previous podcast i get i get mixed up sometimes yeah. what we talked about with the recording on or off but um where matthew built a, a visual basic platform for a prototype on this ingredient evaluator, kind of the, the start of this marketplace piece, so to speak, and people are already offering to pay money to use just the cheap desktop prototype, and yep. so th that's a good sign. It's in, it's encouraging and it's market validation, but there's a, a chunk of features there that need to be developed fairly quickly. Yep, and I just. I'm having a hard time seeing how we would successfully do that without more revenue up front to either hire someone or, or a group or something to kind of bring that bring that through. So that that would be the main driver for raising the raising the money is to help develop that out and then do some sales and marketing things. Sure, sure. With it. And pay us in the meantime too while we're <laughs> going through that. What is your out of the three of you, um, do you have any sort of input from the other two uh, on you know raising some money or not um, we haven't talked about it yet okay I'm, I'm kind of I want to put together a plan and how I would see that being beneficial and just kind of get all the numbers kind of lined up for okay so if we're gonna give up this much equity for this or potentially take on a loan at this percent for for that does it really financially make sense yep. to do that or not and so once I have that put into place and I'm gonna sit down and talk with my two other founders about it and sure. come to an agreement before I start soliciting. Sure. <laughs> I don't want to get a bunch of people lined sure. up and then all of a sudden they're dead set against it, right? Yeah. <laughs> we have, I think, I'm not sure if I mentioned on the podcast, but we got approved for a, a $340,000 um, non collateralized or non-secured line of credit from the state of North Dakota um, but when you start to when you start to model out traditional debt and just having that repayment right away yep that's you know it starts to starts to add some stress I've <laughs> as I've been looking at us you know we're in a we're in a good situation where we probably won't be touching that but you start to get it you start to get in and have a few hundred thousand dollars of debt with ter you know five year payback five year amortization yep and it's kind of like running into the wind a little bit and so um you know obviously nobody wants to give away equity and and dilute themselves but well, I think there's advantages to diluting yourself if you're diluting to the right yeah, people. Yeah. So if, if it's someone that's in the industry or has some knowledge about this that can help advance it, I'm all for giving someone like that yeah. a piece of the pie because they're going to make it a bigger pie <laughs> yeah, yeah. than we might have on our own. And 
as far as the debt goes, when I'm kind of putting some modeling together for this, I'm kind of capping myself at ten to fifteen percent of it. Anything that I raise being debt. Sure. Because I, I don't I don't want to just oh get two hundred grand from the development fund and that's all you're getting, and then six months down the line you're starting to look at you know repayment terms and some of these things that I don't I don't want to put us in that type of position either because you, yep. you start to make decisions based on the wrong things when you're trying to <laughs> yep. trying to pay that back so just trying to put all that stuff together and kind of see what's the right way to go about it you know historically if anybody's followed what I've put out on thoughts and opinions I've been pretty negative on uh, raising venture capital mm-hmm. and a lot of that is you know a traditional venture capitalist if they have 15 companies in their portfolio they really want one to be a home run, a couple to be really good, but they're completely fine with seven or eight just completely, you know, going bust. Right. And so they're going to put pressure to, you know, if you raised what, I don't know, a million dollars, they're going to want you to raise another couple million in a a year or two. Right. And five or ten million and just spend it all and just with the sole focus on growing your revenue. And in our type of businesses, yeah, that can work, but it just really amplifies the the extreme outcomes. And yep. you're kind of, you know, what's wrong with having a business that is cash flow positive and you have, you know, five or 10 people working together mm-hmm. um, versus having, you know, just, if you raise a million dollars, you know, hiring 10 people overnight. What's right. wrong with hiring, you know, three or four and allowing the revenue to justify that? And so I, that's, and that's I, more the position I'd want to be in. I, I'm not, you got me into the um, Lost and Founder book and, and he's got a chapter where he really gets into the VC yep. model and just really explains it in a way that I hadn't understood before and I was never really drawn to oh I need to do a VC raise but after listening to that I thought there's no way I want to do the VC model that just does not fit mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> our values are our plan for our business so I would rather find a few uh, angel or seed investors that would want to put in you know maybe we raise a couple hundred thousand dollars in that just to kind of get hire a few people get runway for six months to a year with yep. with the total yep. portfolio to build out the platform have some time to sell what we're doing and people that are in it for the long haul because they care about the industry they want a nice rate of return over time and you know who knows maybe in five to ten years it's a company that we sell and there's a decent exit mm-hmm. for it but i'm not trying to be a, an ag unicorn yeah <laughs> That's that's not not in my future, at least at this point in time. So you talk about Matthew making a. So, for people that don't know, and it's probably the majority of people, um, a Visual Basic program is an Excel spreadsheet on steroids, right? <laughs> you're you're layering on the, this program language called Visual Basic on top of a spreadsheet. Is that? Well, Visual Basic is, it's a full-fledged .NET programming language, and you can do a lot of stuff with it, but it's just such an antiquated platform that there's not many people developing in it 
robust commercial grade programming mm -hmm. anymore. Um, it's a step above like access and writing stuff in there. But you can actually you can actually build compilable, executable programs that run on their own. So okay. it's quite a bit that you can do with it. But you're not going to find many programmers today that are going to get real excited about you know maintaining a VB code base and sure, <laughs> sure. and doing stuff with it. Um, but he really did that out of necessity, where he actually started building a prototype in Excel. Yep. And um, when he showed it to people, it's when they see an Excel spreadsheet, there's just not the excitement or the imagination to, yep. do I see myself using this as a platform versus having an actual program? And so he kind of locked himself away in a, in a room for five weeks and built this thing out and was actually pretty brilliant what he put together mm -hmm. with it. And so... Um, if, if anyone listening has read the book The Lean Startup, it's kind of funny because I was I've been reading this book as we've been you know, going through all this, and it's one thing to read something in a book, and it's another thing to actually be <laughs> living it out. So even when Matthew was first starting to kind of pull away and, and work on this and do this, I kind of struggled with with that because I thought he was going to be focused on some other things. I didn't see what he was doing or kind of worried about okay well if this gets out there how are we going to support it and all these like big corporate questions from my time at Cargill and Microsoft and feed management systems that would have mm -hmm. come up all those little little voices and thoughts were coming in my head and I was kind of getting upset yeah with him for for doing it and then I saw what he built and I saw the reaction to it and just thought back to what I've been reading in Lean Startup and I said this is exactly what they're talking about in this book is to build cheap dirty prototypes to get something out there for people to see and see if people are willing to pay for it mm -hmm. and then you take those ideas and you build them into your main platform and yep. then it was like this light bulb came out like oh my god we we did that we're yep. doing that yeah <laughs> but right away it was like i was just pissed <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> could you give us a sense of scale on these minimum viable pro uh, products that he's selling in with Visual Basic. You know, are we talking, uh, you know, here's 500 bucks to use it, or here's a, you know, a couple thousand or more, or? We're gonna charge people a full license fee for things to be in the platform, and they'll start using the desktop version with the intent that we're gonna migrate those features into our web sure. platform, and people are okay with that. They understand that within within a matter of a few months, we'll have all those pieces in there. We have kind of the base framework on our web platform already. It's just a matter of adding some other components into it. So it's not terribly far off to, to get there. So they can limp along, so to speak, with the desktop for a few months and be okay with it. There's enough value with it. They're willing to put up with that. Sure. Go back to your business. Uh, what would you... I don't know if you can even touch on an average, but average customer, you know, is going to have number of a bunch of users on the platform. Yep. What would you What do you think your annual con average annual contract value would be for an, an average customer? Oh, well, we're still trying to figure that out right now. Um, average annual is going to be about ten k recurring per site. Sure. With you know some probably about three to five k in, in setup. Sure. Fees 
to it and then it really at that point just depends on on the size of the of the business but sure. yeah about 10k per business sure so you got yeah so it's one of those deals where you don't need hundreds of customers to no to get some good initial traction no and we i mean we have a few that have already offered to pay money for the um, prototype and then you know out of that on, on kind of the next ring outside of that i kind of look at these things like concentric circles and rings you know so that core ring the ones we'll give you money today and start using this right there's probably like three to five yep. customers in that in that ring and then the ring right outside of that there's probably about 30 customers that would say once it's built we're going to sign up and pay you money sure for this and then there's the groups outside of that that, that they work with and whatnot so yeah. you know we could probably get you know oh, 15 to 30 grand kind of initially from kind of that group that's willing to pay today and then maybe 150 grand from the group that um, once it's built mm -hmm. they'll sign up for it and then it'll kind of grow sure outside of that yeah that's awesome yeah so i hope on our you know one of our future episodes here in the not too distant future we'll hear a little bit more on your guys's path going forward as far as uh you know staying bootstrapped staying self-funded versus you know potentially bringing on some investors it'll be fun to see see that see that route for you yeah when i first started i thought i never want to i want to bootstrap all the way i never want to take on any outside money of any source and just starting to think about some of the things that you can do with that if you get the right money from the right right people there's some good opportunities there um and i had a conversation about eight months ago with a guy that uh, he had written some software for the feed industry that really had revolutionized the feed industry back when he got started and i asked him what is you know are there any things if you could go back and do it all over again anything you do differently and one of the things he said in that conversation was he would have raised some money earlier on he he bootstrapped and they had to make a lot of decisions based on low cash flow that they would have done differently if they would have had some investment and I think it would have grown even more and sure. this is a software that had 60% of the market at one point yeah so that that really got me thinking yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. about it so never say never because you just you know and then when you start opening you up to the possibility you start to th you start to think about things and then what I do too is it, it, it kind of forces you to dream a little bit bigger mm -hmm. too because you think well if, if tomorrow I woke up and we had a half million dollars sitting in the bank ready to spend on working capital what would we do yep with that versus oh we're just trying to you know get through the end of the year and add a few more customers to make sure we're staying yep. afloat while we're building the product it kind of forces you to dream even bigger and keeps keeps pushing you in that regard so yep. that's been yep. kind of fun too yeah so so what have you been up to cool so we july for me is a month of uh is kind of a travel month I haven't, going back 10 years now, when I was working in private equity, I would do a fair amount of travel for due diligence, meet companies, 
and haven't had a lot of travel on my calendar for really a long time now, but I was in Des Moines last week. I'm going to Illinois next week for a couple days. I'm going to InfoAg in St. Louis mm-hmm. the week after, going to another trade show the week after. So uh, it's going to be a – it's fun to do that stuff, but my – couple days I was on the road last week I just felt like I didn't get any yeah it felt like you know we're, we're planting you know off on one side of the business you know it's like we're it's like my if, if my job is a, a gardener I'm uh, my day-to-day I, I'm trimming and pruning and, and planting and some of that business development is just planting seeds mm-hmm. right? right I have this garden over on one side it's neat needs me to tend to it and I have this complete you know this fresh fertile soil that need to plant some more seeds and it's tough for me that's a hard thing to balance it's a, it's a hard thing to balance that long-term investment and, and growing the that's the, the age-old problem with sales right there by the way yep you gotta <laughs> keep your pipeline full or you're gonna end up running dry so that's yeah that's fun meet more people growing our network and then you know we're trying to do some different things marketing wise as far as potentially growing out a dealer network and so we brought on somebody to help uh, with some initial business development so we're going to experiment with that um, when you think about the dealer model what what are kind of the compelling reasons to go a dealer out versus just hiring on salespeople and growing that way so at our pr- our price point is frankly too low mm-hmm. to hire salespeople. We would need to, you know, a rule of thumb is if you're going to have a salesperson in, in traditional software businesses, software as a service recurring revenue, if you're going to pay somebody a six figure all in compensation, including benefits. Mm-hmm you're going to want like a $300,000 quota. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's new contract revenue. Right. And a lot of it's four hundred, five hundred thousand um, is a best practice. And so for us, I think we could be on that low end, but if you say 300000 divided by $1,500 a year, that's 200 customers. Basically a customer every working day. Almost. Yeah, basically yeah. a customer every business day. And in the, with the seasonality of farming, that just doesn't work. We yeah. could probably even go under that, you know, three hundred thousand dollar minimum, but it's just hard, mm-hmm. and uh, it's just hard to find salespeople who know all the nuances of farming and who kind of respect the the timing, the seasonality, the weather. Yep. I was sending emails to some of our users this week, and it was sent an email to a, a farmer in Missouri. I know they've been dry. Yeah. I sent an email to a farmer in central Iowa. They've been flooding. Yep. I sent an email to a guy in northeast South Dakota. They've been dry. Yeah. Somebody and that can even change from county to county in yeah, an area. Yeah, and I kind of know that. So I'm like, you know, have you been able to catch any rain to the guy in Missouri? I wouldn't say that to the guy in Iowa. He'd be like, you know, damn pissed. right, I yeah. got seven inches of rain last night. Yeah. Like, how do yeah. you not know that? <laughs> and, uh, and that's just really hard to... When I when I worked at Myriad, we brought some new salespeople on for the Bushel platform, and that was a couple of things that I was training them on was to look at like the crop outlooks and what percentage was harvested for different places and checking weather, 
in areas so you could you know a know not to call people yeah at certain times because if they're right in the middle of you know bean harvest they're probably pretty slammed yeah right yep. you know and it just gives you stuff to talk about and that that varies so much from state state to state that you just you just need to know that kind of stuff because if, if you try to fake that they're going to smell the bs a mile away and just know that you, you just you can lose your credibility really quickly with farmers yep yep that, that is so true and just such a niche world that we're in in agriculture so what do you look for with the farmers what do you look for for dealers is there a certain market or a certain kind of values alignment or what 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 a certain um, customer approach or what what, what what's your what's your ideal dealer and what, what do they look like it'd be a you know progressive seed dealership um, you know growth oriented crop insurance agency mm-hmm. I th- in my opinion I've had people say well you could have you know you could have banks sell the product and it's like in my opinion how do you align the incentives of the person selling the product you know and uh, I mean, a banker, it's, they're just, their business is to get, you know, to have a solid book of interest generating clients. So I really think you need to be, whoever's selling the product, they need to be the the small business owner. They get the, you know, the majority, if not all of the revenue. Yep. um, And can just kind of use harvest profit as a way to you know, build up a solid core piece of cash flow, mm-hmm. but more than likely it's not going to be a sole source of revenue. Right. But it can, you know... Give them another tool, give them some revenue yeah. to add on. Yeah. yeah. If you... How I think about it is if you're if you're in the seed business or you're, you're in crop consulting or crop insurance, mm-hmm. you know, the, the revenue stream from Harvest Profit could potentially... You know, pay for the payment on a facility, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then you know, having a diversified set of in, you know set of income for them, I think, makes a lot of sense. The part that isn't so beneficial uh, or isn't ideal is historically we've ran a fair amount of promotions, uh, special offers, yeah, and so when you do that and you have dealers in the field, you run into some more cognizant of that, yeah you run into channel conflicts and so trying to we'll have to really respect you know the dealers and physical territories too so you're not someone's not coming direct to you to buy versus going to the dealer in that area yeah we'll we'll probably try to implement some sort of a uh, some sort of a way to to not have geographical constraints but to give the dealer the benefit of the you know of the sale if they've made any sort of contact with the person. So. Yep. Yeah, I was being a former seed dealer and having stuff like that happen with certain groups that we chose not to be dealers for mm-hmm. anymore. There's a real tension there that people are going to go directly mm-hmm. to the company versus, you know, buying through the dealer if the dealer's doing all the marketing in the sure. area and that. So yep. it's, <laughs> I think uh, Peterson Farm Seed has done a really good job of working with dealers and working with with customers on, on sure. that side of it so but yeah it's a it's interesting and the other thing we're dynamic. working on is trying to build out a number of integrations into our platform and do it in a way that integrations are a hot topic yeah <laughs> um, 
they're hot topic in all areas of software. Uh, in farming, uh, in a tool like ours that is a financial analysis tool, if you start pushing and pulling financial data in and out, there need you know there's going to be some sort of reconciliation, yep. and that reconciliation could really drown a person. Yep. And if they get behind, it could really hamper them from from getting back up to date. And so yep. we're working we're going to be working a lot on here the next couple months on how to to best pull in some agronomic data into yep. our into our platform and really try to ensure that we're actually saving the farmer time. Right. So. We could probably have a whole podcast where we just talk about integrations and industry partnerships and successes and pitfalls and what that yep. look like look, looks like. I know just working at other other places and helping set up some of those partnerships. You know, everyone wants to integrate or partner or work work together or whatever they yeah. they say. But if you don't if you don't have like a clear alignment on, on what you're doing and what they're doing to kind of bring things together and good expectations and kind of a good gut check on values alignment and like there just can be so many problems that can come with or you just just nothing happens at all with yeah, it because anyone's like oh yeah let's integrate or let's work together but then what what does that <laughs> what does that really mean it right? just ends up being a big time suck right yeah then the the last thing that I was going to touch on is I haven't talked about it too much publicly, and we're, we're we've I've spent a bunch of time the past six months working on building out a kind of a whole new gigantic feature um, within our platform, and it's super powerful, super complex. We've got we've got let's say a third of it, a third of the features done, mm-hmm. but. The next third isn't all that, you know, isn't hugely complex, but I think when we get down to, you know, that last 10 or 20% of finishing out this feature, <laughs> we're going to run into all sorts of edge cases. Yep, that's what happens. And so <laughs> what I've, I've had a slight change of direction recently, and I have this philosophy of making small bets instead of making big bets. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to try to integrate with a third party that's already doing this mm-hmm. and adding some adding some tools on top of it so we can test the acceptance of do farmers really want to do this job within harvest profit right or would they prefer that we are we, that we're just you know that we just kind of stay in our do you do one thing really well or do you kind of branch out into yeah and so I'm I'm kind of excited about uh, working on this, kind of piggybacking on another company that already does this thing well. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully, have more to talk, you know, more to chat on that here in the next couple months. So, looking at dealer network, traveling, meeting people, integrations, um, kind of doing a making a small bet on getting into a a new feature area for us. Right. And then, yeah, hope, working on another thing that I'm not going to talk about that hopefully we can <laughs> chat more about in a couple of weeks. So. Yeah, it'll be exciting to hear about yeah. it on the podcast. So, And then, yeah, I think that kind of, we've done a number of back and forth episodes here, but I felt like a good update episode um, is good. Yep. So all in all, you know, let's just, we'll close off like a, you know, rewind the clock two months ago. 
you know, to where you're at today, you know, how are you guys, you know, just what's your overall, how are you feeling about things? Uh, really good. We have a clearer vision and understanding of some of our hypotheses and the validation in the market with it that just wasn't there previously. And so now that that's in place, there's a lot of things that we can do yep. that we weren't able to do before. And it adds a lot to our story, both as our product and our company that wasn't there. So it's, it's a pretty exciting time and a place to be with awesome. that. How about you? I think we're just kind of, re we're not feeling things aren't going gangbusters and things aren't going poor. We're just we just got a lot of stuff that we moving along, right? Just moving along. We got a we're blocking and tackling. We got you know kind of a little inundated with just things that we could do. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, we're working on this big grain inventory tracking feature, which we've been working on for the past couple months. And so once we once we get that launched here in the not too distant future will be fun to, to gauge the receptiveness yeah. and, and iterate on that. So all in all, we'll uh, we'll touch base here in the next week or two and appreciate everybody listening to our journey and the No Bowl podcast. All right. Thanks. We'll see you next time.